There are some who call me... Tim? The lights go down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. So, Mike, I guess uh, fall has fallen. Failed? I don't know. How would you, how would you describe that? <laughs> it has descended with a thump. That's right. Earlier this week, the vertical equinox occurred, and I told my daughter that... Uh, Summer is over. Time to put the uh, flip-flops and shorts up. And she was like, why? I was like, well, it's fall. She goes, it doesn't feel like it's fall. <laughs> Reminds me of an old uh, uh, Charlie Brown cartoon where he is in his house and he's he's checking his calendar. And he was like, oh, my gosh, spring started two weeks ago. And he runs outside and everybody is uh, sledding and making snowmen. And he's like, come on, let's play ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wish it would, like, seriously cool off. I mean, I, uh, I'm i fed up with this heat. We've been having a drought down here. And uh, – Really? It's gotten old. Yeah, very dry, um, very hot most of the time. We've had a few small cool spells, and by cool spells, I mean like, you know, 78 degrees, you know, and then back up into the 90s. Hmm. Uh, I'm just tired of it. It's time for some uh, some cooler temperatures, I think. Hmm. Well, now, gosh, for the past uh, uh, couple of weeks here, I mean, our the mornings here have been very cool. Um, you know, like in, in the upper forties, but now it heats up then during the day. So, I mean, I can't, I can't say that we've had, now we've had the dry conditions that, uh, uh, that you've been having, but as for being, you know, abnormally hot, that's, that, that hasn't been the case here. But then again, you're a little bit further south than I am. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. It's uh it's been strange because usually this time of year we're getting uh, a lot of uh, hurricanes out in the Atlantic and we have to worry about them coming into the Gulf and that kind of stuff and it's been basically dead it hasn't been going on which ties in with last week's guest I mean has somebody turned off the hurricane machine you know um, something's going on because normally we would be getting lots of of uh, activity out of the Atlantic you know off the coast of Africa where they generate and then coming across and it's just not happening. And think about it too. That, that sort of flies in the face of the so-called anthropogenic global warming argument, which claims that, you know, man-made global warming is causing an increase in storms and hurricanes and all this stuff, tornadoes, hurricanes. It's been quiet, quiet, quiet. No tornadoes, almost none hurt, no hurricanes. So you have to say, well, gee, there's goes the whole the, the whole uh, uh, deception because it is a deception about man-made global warming and there and and, and what's really going on. But uh, I am not going to complain about not having any hurricanes. But we should we could use some some uh, 
some rain. Yeah, well, it was very interesting uh, talking with Scott Stevens last week about the whole uh, weather manipulation, uh, weather wars type of uh, situations. Because, I mean, I've believed for a long time that uh, uh, not only the United States, but other countries as well, have had the ability to manipulate the weather. Um, whether it be through um, electromagnetic, electronics, uh, you know, or, or, or other methods. I mean, I think it's been uh, very clear for, for quite a while that somebody is fooling around with the weather for whatever reason. I mean, and we do know that, I mean, China has, has openly uh, uh, talked about their attempts to, say, create rain over Beijing when the uh, air pollution has gotten so bad. Um, right. And uh, I, I remember, um, guys, it's been a, a number of years ago, but uh, uh, when I was uh, working on a, a television program called Across Indiana, we interviewed this farmer who had bought, it was a, a, a it was a hail buster, as they called it. And it was a, it was like a series of um, giant tubes is what they looked like. And I can't remember now for the life of me whether or not it used, um, say, like uh, gunpowder or explosives or something like that, or if it was uh, uh, um, sonic in nature. But if there was a like a thunderstorm approaching that uh, threatened hail, you know, that could damage your your, yeah. your crops. You know, you would set this thing off in a you know like in a series, and supposedly it would be enough to uh, uh, disrupt disrupt hail formation over a limited area. Of course. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, what we were talking about uh, with uh, Scott Stevens was weather manipulation on a far grander scale, though. Yeah. Well, something's going on because normally we have plenty of at least three hurricanes in the in the Atlantic by now, and it's just been. I mean, I think we had a couple that started out and then they just dissipated. It didn't really ever turn into anything major. And it's just strange. It's almost as if somebody is, you know, zapping them with a scalar wave transmission or something and just cause them to tear apart or, mm. or not even to form mm -hmm. to begin with. Mm. Well, you know, I, so, remember, I yeah. remember um, when uh, the year of uh, um, Hurricane Katrina, and you'll have to remind me, uh, what was that, 97? It was 10 years ago. 10 years ago? Okay. Yeah. Um, there were some very interesting um, – Say like uh, 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 I think they I think they were radar pictures that that somebody had collected that seemed to show some kind of energy beam that was being directed towards uh, certain hurricanes. Uh, yeah. That that you know that were forming in the Atlantic and 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 some that were in the like tropical storms in the uh, uh, Caribbean. Right. Uh, and then they would predict is like, well, you know, we're seeing these what looks like, you know, some kinds of beams of energy being directed at these storms. So, you know, we're going to predict that they, you know, that they, they may do, you know, such and such. Well, and if they super, if something superheats the water beneath the storm, mm -hmm. it will cause the storm to exponentially grow. Right. Okay? Right. So, so yeah, I mean, I mean, but where where did the beam seem to originate? The uh, the one in particular that that I remember, um, it was out off of I think the coast of the Yucatan, 
and it seemed like that the beam was originating from somewhere in Texas. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah, but I mean, that's you know, who knows? I mean, um, you know, something like something like that could be transmitted uh, from satellites or from say like a uh, an originating location and then bounced uh, uh probably off the what would it be the ionosphere yeah the ionosphere so, yeah so that it would look like it was you know originating from from someplace a lot closer so, you know i don't yeah. I, I don't yeah. know it's just you know i just I, I just find it interesting that after that year you know there there was quite a bit of talk about the idea of bad made weather manipulation uh but then it died back very quickly well it's interesting because it seems like it might be helpful for disinformation you know purposes um because remember during the time people tried to blame actually blame the hurricane on george bush oh yeah well george bush yeah george bush had been the governor of texas remember Mm -hmm. so it would make sense that if russia or china were behind something like that that they would they would be behind they would also be behind the rumors the destabilization you know uh, I will say, you know, you'll notice that, in, yeah, terrible things happened with Katrina and, and so forth. But the problem in New Orleans was not the response. The problem was that people didn't get the hell out of town like they were told to do. <laughs> right. And that the levees and and uh, such had not been taken care of for 40, 50 years, even though the funds had disappeared into a black hole. Um, you know, there were, there were other things that actually were going on. And... When you look at what happened with Hurricane Sandy, really the the response to Hurricane Sandy was much worse than the response was to Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. Um, And Katrina was a worse storm. But Sandy, the people suffered. I mean, it was bad. It was bad both places. But I'm just saying that the government response was lousy. But you didn't hear all the propagandists coming out screaming and bleating about it, you know, like they usually do. Um I just I look at a lot of the things like that, and I say, you know, what's the real agenda here? And I figure that whoever was behind uh, the propaganda about the Katrina response, if there is somebody causing the causing the storm to begin with, you know, there may be a there, if not the exact same source, they could be affiliated in some way. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, I mean. Uh there's always somebody that has an agenda you know? always and and there's there's all it and, and it's always going to be directed against you know the current powers that be so you know it's 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 like we have said before whether the leaders are democrat or republican it doesn't matter you know it's all the same uh, whoever gets elected, you know, say president or, you know, and senator or, you know, Congress uh, during the next rounds, you know, they're going to be the whipping boys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think that, um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, is there an answer? I don't, I don't know if there is an answer. <laughs> I don't know. I don't you know, know man. It, I, 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 I suppose that we could all just, you know, go back to, you know, beating each other over the heads with clubs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it works for me. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got, yeah, you've got some big ones. I've seen the, uh, 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 what are they, like shillelaghs that, uh, is, is that what they're called, that uh, that you've made? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm 
working on several actually. I've I've actually completed a few new ones lately, you know, for my own use. But it's funny you should say that about a shillelagh because I'm actually working on sort of a shillelagh walking stick war club thing. Pretty interesting. Pretty different. It's uh, made out of plum wood, a big piece of very twisted plum wood, which is fairly hard on the Janka hardness scale. But I want it to kind of look like something, you know, from the South Sea Islands mm-hmm. or, you know, some sort of Maori or or uh, Polynesian war club. And it's going to be pretty cool, I think. Um, I just completed one recently. I don't know if you saw it or not. Um, that was pretty pretty wicked. It looked kind of like a uh, uh, sort of a tribal-looking uh, staff, you know, I, when I do these things, it's just mainly for my own relaxation. But uh, um, yeah, I have sold them and have given away from time to time. But uh, yeah, this this new one's going to be cool, and it is, uh, you know, clubs work. <laughs> <laughs> you well, know, baseball bat is a club. That's right. That's right. Well, and that's uh, you know, this is going to be kind of a, a strange uh, segue. But you know, before the show, you know, we were talking about uh, you know, like. Uh, uh, things using sticks on, you know, like uh, beating on your dogs and and things like that. Well, you know, today's guest is Linda Godfrey, and uh, she's the author of a a, a number of very interesting books, the most recent being American Monsters, and she's uh, well known for her book, uh, the, uh, uh, oh gosh, is it the, the... the Wolf of Bray Road, the Monster of Bray Road, the, the, the Beast of Bray Road, Beast of Bray Road. Thank you, my, my right, I had right. a, I had a brain fart for a second there, and um, so uh, it's I've I've been wanting to get her on this show for for quite a while now, and, and thank heavens we have had we we have the opportunity to do this because well it, actually she has been on before I'm not sure if it was the last show that you and I did together or if it was the Outer Edge but we have talked to her before hmm, but, I don't uh, I don't know if I was a uh, um, I don't know if I okay. was the co-host on when you did that so that made okay well she's she's a great guest I mean she really knows her stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, I tell you something, you know, she started out investigating, you know, like uh, wolf-like creatures uh, right. around her uh, her town in Wisconsin, well, but now she yeah. branched out into all kinds of different uh, Well, like I was telling somebody about recently, a, a friend who's a, actually a, a newspaper guy, a reporter, she started out as, re- as a reporter. That's what mm-hmm. she did. She was, you know, writing for a, a small-town newspaper, and uh, to me, she has that type of objectivity and the way to look at the facts and, and and so forth, which is which is important when dealing with these topics. Really is it really is, um, and uh, um, and that's one thing I want to ask her about. You know, when she first started uh, getting into all this and re- and writing about it for her, you know, hometown newspaper, uh, what was the reaction of her editor? Yeah, and publisher there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, whether or not... Well, they... I, I think they were just getting so inundated with reports that they had to respond somehow locally. They had to write something about it, you know? Hmm, hmm, hmm. Interesting. Well, okay. Well, uh, rather than uh, hearing us talk about it, let's uh, let's go ahead and go to our break. And when we come back, we will have our guest, Linda Godfrey. So you are listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz. Stay tuned. We will be right back. <laughs>
put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology, preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to Mr. UFO 8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. Mr. UFO 8 at hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. List and promote real-time talk radio topics or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. Welcome back to the Outer Edge. I'm William Michael Mott, Mike to my friends, and uh, various expletives and epithets to my enemies. I'm here with uh, Tim Schwartz as usual, and we are now joined by our very special guest, Linda Godfrey. Linda, it is good to have you back on the show. Thank you back for having me back. It's great to be here. Great, great. Well, we were talking coming in before the before the or during the break um, 
about the variety of books that you have. I have several of your books myself, but just to give uh, the listeners an idea of of the the range of of books that you've written, why don't you kind of uh, rattle off a few of them for us? <laughs> well, uh, most people know me for um, they think of the Beast of Bray Road, which was my first cryptozoology book. I actually had a historical true crime before that, The Poison Widow. But since then, I know I I did several. On that same theme, hunting the American werewolf, um, the Michigan dog man, um, based on stories that came to me after each book would come out, I'd get this flood of more, you know, reports. Right. And then, um, real wolf man, American monsters are the two latest, and I've got another one in the works with that publisher, Tarcher Penguin. But I also, uh, co-authored Weird Wisconsin, authored Weird Michigan. Um, I wrote, I did sequels to both of those. I've done other series books, um, Haunted Wisconsin series, uh, state series, um, Monsters of Wisconsin. I did um, a, a trio, uh, one called Werewolves, one called Lake and Sea Monsters, one called Mythical Creatures for um, Chelsea House Publishers in New York. There's just So it's been kind of a, a, a wide-scale thing. I also have branched out and have my first fantasy novel out. Uh, it's titled God Johnson, The Unforgiven Diary and you can see it on a page at lindagodfrey.com where I have everything listed. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Well, I, I read your uh, one, one of your most recent books, American Monsters. thought it was very good. Actually, I, I left you a, a review on Amazon. Um, oh, but, uh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, excellent book. Um, uh, very comprehensive and uh, it, it really brings to mind something we've, we've talked about on here before, that some of these entities or beings that people encounter seem as if they are attempting to correspond to our expectations. What do you think about that? Well, you know, it does sort of start looking that way after a while. When you see there's such a wide variety of different creatures observed, and that was really my impetus for writing that book, because right from the get-go 23 years ago, I started getting not just upright wolf-like creature sightings, but large birds, lake and sea monsters, you know, people were coming right. to me with all kinds of things. And all these years, um, you know, I finally realized most people out there don't realize that there is such a wide variety that is observed by people, you know, just uh, everyday credible people like like you or me or our next door neighbors and um you know i wanted people to see how many there were and w- in bringing these together and in trying to categorize them which isn't easy because hmm. a lot of them have like overlapping features i began to realize there's certain things that are common to almost all of them one is that they're so elusive it's almost impossible to get a great photo or film of bigfoot dogman right large birds of any kind, Jersey Devil, you know, Mothman, you name it, Chupacabras. Nobody has the perfect photographic evidence. They seem to either be able to elude or detect cameras or somehow disable them um, or cloak themselves. I, you know, there are a number of different alternatives as, as to what can be happening, but they, yeah. don't take, they don't take good pictures. They also seem to um, all be very interested in people, you know. It's, yes, while they're being elusive, they're still studying us and watching us and staring at us. And they very seldom 
um, you know, are known to really attack and, and kill and hurt people. It's more often, even when, like say the Bigfoot throw rocks, they almost never hit someone with a rock. Although I was with someone who did get hit in the head with a rock, um, yeah. a few months ago. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I've, so talked, that, I've talked to people who, who've been hit with them, but they weren't large, they were like pebbles. Right, yeah. This one was just big enough to give him like a light concussion. Um, Wow. (laughs) Yeah, so it does happen, but it was probably, it seemed almost more accidental. So there's this, you know, not, despite the horror movies, you know, most of these things don't grab people and eat them or tear them to shreds. They'll do it to pets, farm animals, and other things, but not people. Um, and they, there are very often, they very often have, um, background in native lore or whatever country it is, their, their native, uh, cultural heritage will often hint that these things have been around for a long time and they just don't act like normal animals you know they they're just right. they behave weirdly they've got parts they shouldn't have well they're they're too intelligent and that too yes their behavior their behavior is very premeditated uh, at least to to me to, to my years and years of studying these things it seems like they are at least of an equivalent intelligence as to human beings Right, huh. that's what so many witnesses say. Or they'll say, yeah. I felt that it was at least as intelligent, or maybe that it thought it was more intelligent. Very right. often they give telepathic right. messages. You know, that, and this is across the board. It's not just one type of thing. Well, something that has stuck with me for years, after reading your first book on the Beast of Bray Road, and this ties in with you know things in my book and, and, and on these topics and, and other things, I remember the account of the night watchman in your book who – was it a junkyard? He, he No, no. It was a um, a Catholic there you uh, go. Camp, campus for taking care okay. of uh, developmentally challenged people. Okay. Well, that's even more interesting. So he was a, he was at a Catholic – a Catholic campus. Mm-hmm. And he encounters this being outside rooting around and stuff and this – creature looks at him and actually speaks why don't you tell the the listeners what this thing said to him and what it could possibly mean well the sound that this night watchman um translated and um he and, and he was a devout roman catholic himself and right. former former boxer and prize fighter so and the thing i should mention also was seen it wasn't just rooting in any you know pile of refuse it was digging into an american indian burial mound hmm. wow of which there were several on the campus, and right. that—that's what it was doing. And the, right. the the syllables it said, and and I always have to, um, you know, I started out with this as a newspaper reporter, and I always kind of keep that reporter's hat on a little bit, a little bit because there are two right. sides. The, the right. syllables that he heard were Gadara, and the thing is, Gadara. Um, I, you know, I'm a Christian. I read my Bible, and I knew that that was actually a region. Um, in the Mediterranean, it was where Jesus was said to have um, driven the um, the demons out of a man, and they went into this herd of swine, and the swine ran into um, right. the water. You know, and we're and in we're fact drowned. that man it, that man is refers referred to in uh, the, theological circles as the Gadarene demoniac. Yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. However, when you look at it another way, those. Um, consonants that are used in that gadara. I mean, it, you could also say that it sounds a lot like a throaty growl. And right. many, and people who have seen the, uh, upright wolf-like creature, um, 
make a sound where they're directly looking at it and they see it making a sound, um, that's kind of what they describe. Um, usually they'll say it's more like an up and down pitched right. thing, but it's still a throaty growl. And well, think, so, think, I was going to say, think about this too. You said that this thing was digging in a burial mound. Right. And when Christ encountered the demoniac, the guy who was possessed by the legion of demons, this man was dwelling in a graveyard. Right, and he a was living cave. Among, mm-hmm. Yeah, he was yeah. living in a cave in a graveyard among the tombs. And so, again, that's a similar connection to my right. mind at yeah. least. Strange. Yeah, they, they, do seem, they do seem somewhat alike, yeah. Um, and it's very interesting because this hadn't been made public at all until my story came out. Um, it was over the New Year's Eve weekend and uh, end of end of December ninety one, beginning of January ninety two, and when it was published, um, this man's son, the night guard's son, Joe Shackleman, happened to be the editor of a newspaper over in. Um, I think it was. Uh, I, I keep getting this mixed up, I'm, I'm, and I'm not looking at the book, but it was. Uh, I think it's the Kenosha Labor Paper was the title of it, and he saw this and my my report and thought oh my gosh this is only you know half an hour away from what my dad saw and it sounds exactly like it his father was deceased but his father had made uh, a deathbed confession to his son he had never told anybody else about it but his wife and had his and directed his son in drawing a sketch of what he saw on this burial mound now you know what devout Roman Catholic man is going to make up on his deathbed confession to his son, um, you know, something that wouldn't be true, but, you know, much right. less draw a sketch mm-hmm. of it. I mean, it's, it's about as sincere of a report, um, as, as any I've heard, at, despite the fact that it happened back in 1936. So it was a while ago. Right. Exactly. Very interesting. Hmm. I, I, I find that to be one of the most compelling of all the reports. Because of all the various things that you mentioned, it just seems that it's one of those things that there's absolutely no reason, no basis for it to have been a hoax by any stretch of the imagination. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it was the, – the name of the institution was St. Coletta, and the building is still there just outside of the city of Jefferson, Wisconsin, which is in Jefferson County, uh, just north of Walworth County where Bray Road was. Um, but the burial mound – is now, uh, it used to be right out between the building and where the highway is now, but, um, subsequent development since the 1930s, it's been, you know, raised and you can't tell or see the burial mound anymore. It's not there, unfortunately. Yeah. Interesting. Mm, it is very interesting. Uh, one of the things I want to, uh, uh, touch with you, Linda, is, uh, in your, uh, your blog, you have a story uh, that you uh, uh, uploaded on September 3rd called uh, Centaurs and Elkmen. Now, <laughs> a lot of listeners, you know, I mean, they're they're familiar with, uh, you know, of course, like uh, Bigfoot types of creatures and, you know, dogmen, sea monsters or things like that. But we have a lot of stories. I mean, not just the one that uh, you refer to in, uh, in your blog, but I know that... Uh, um, uh, J.C. Johnson, our good friend that we've had on our show a number of times, has right. uh, has talked about uh, reports out there in the Four Corners areas of people seeing centaur types of creatures. 
And uh, the people who make these uh, uh, reports of these sightings, they're very sincere about it. And they're just as mystified as uh, as we are. Uh, do you want to uh, you want to talk a little bit about yeah. uh, this report? Yeah, yeah. JC's a good guy. He's a good friend of mine. And uh, we, we share some of these things sometimes. And, yeah, you know, when I first heard about a centaur sighting, there was one in Michigan some years ago and it seemed like such a lone duck you know i didn't want to mm-hmm. um you know i, I i'm always reluctant I, I try and vet things before i put them out there and i like to present things in a context you know which um, is how i sort of differentiate myself from um, just having say a list of sightings which there are many sites that do that very well and I have some good friends who do a very good job at that but that's their thing and my thing is trying to connect things, put them in a context see how they fit see if anybody can draw a conclusion you know, theories or something like that so when I all of a sudden started getting a couple of um, people claiming that they were seeing like a centaur or um, some some type of other creature like a, like an elk man or a deer man with horns, something like that, then I'm starting to think, okay, maybe this is a pattern. Maybe there's something to look at. And, and that's why um, I finally decided to include that. You know, And why these things are, I have um, no way to explain it. Some people believe that it's from some sort of shamanism, whether that's Native American or... Um, more of a, a Celtic type of thing, or, or you know, they're all different traditions and and uh, derivations of magical practices or religious practices that can be referred to as shamanism. So that would put it in the sort of paranormal thing. There's the other dimensional. Is there another dimension where um, there are intelligent entities that can kind of come here in mass, right. picking and choosing from different right. already well, invented forms? You know, and, it's and interesting that you say that. I mean. I, Tim actually wrote the afterword to a very short sort of a treatise that I published as a Kindle called The Problem of Density in Regard to Non-Human Encounters. And it looks at this whole thing from a quantum physics standpoint, you know, potentiality, expectation. You know, right. it's just like with, with the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle yep. where it was discovered that, that, some, that these quantum particles mm-hmm. really perform – in one way when they're observed and in another way when they're not. Mm-hmm. And the way they perform when they're observed reflects the expectation of the observer. Right. And, you know, so, they've gone even farther and found out it's even thinking about, thinking about the, you know, even the, if the observer is just thinking about making a decision or, or observing right. them, that's all it takes. But they right. need, but they're in this, this undifferentiated state until there's a human observer, and I've exactly. often I've often wondered if that's somehow um, on Earth here. We're we're doing like a macro version of. I mean, we're talking about. I, th- I think we are. Of, I think we are uh, to some extent. Yeah, yeah. Here we're doing ma- ma- maybe not a, all of them. a macro version of it. Where yeah, where we have yeah. to, there has to be an observer, and that's why they sort of need us to manifest. But then they just want to get out. And do yeah. their own thing, which is why. And see, that, that, that's what the problem of density is really about. I mean, it looks at the actual evidence that that may be what's going on. And think about this too. I mean, if there are other intelligences that are equal or greater than our own, then they too may be able to affect the quantum realm with their expectations. But they may be better at it than we are. 
that, so you be. Yeah. Or, or they are they able to are they able to manipulate um, Earth's space time so that they can do things that look like impossible magic right. to us, but right. really they're just sort of you know they've got like one one hoof in this world and the other hoof in the, in the, <laughs> right. in the next. No. Well, well, well. I mean, you know, let's say we have these collective. Uh, neuroses, phobias, whatever, we're putting this stuff out there and it's registering out there in the, in the quantum universe, you know, the, the universe of entanglement of subatomic particles. It's all being recorded. These things can then just pick and choose what they want and say, hey, that's a good idea. Let's use that. That's what they expect to see. You they're, know? Like, they're like right. archetypes. Right. A lot of them are, yeah. yeah and maybe yeah. that's one reason that they go so far back. Well, you can also take um, take the example of the Tibetan tulpas, which yeah. are essentially thought forms that, um, you know, the holy men there train for almost lifetimes to be able to do these. And, and there are some good, um, there have been some, um, you know, Western people who have learned to do this and then written about it and found that they could, they would visualize something and that, and they could get this thing to project itself from them, maybe using some of their own life force, you know, combined right. with whatever it is. But, but yet, if as the thing they created and and for and and projected out there went on, it would begin to gather more and more and more of its own energy and sentience, until in some cases it would just be able to, um, you know, lose the its its owners, if you will, control and right. do what it wanted, which usually right. was not a good thing. Right. Well, think about this too. I mean, you, you talked about being a Christian. You know, we're told about the power of faith mm-hmm. and believe in something. Yeah. Right, right. And we're also told there are several places where it talks about, you know, the wickedness of, of human beings. And it, it, it literally says, God gives them up to a strong delusion. He gives it, he gives it, he gives it over, gives them over to it. He, mm-hmm. he gives, you know, it's there are places where it says that, that that the the evil imagination of men will become manifest things like that you know where basically it's as if it's saying you want these things you think about them all the time here, mm-hmm. here then you're going to get them they're, right. they're going to come to pass yeah it's the it's the dark and the light side of the power the power of prayer you know i mean it's yeah. we have the ability ability to shape these things in our mind and we don't know in our limited um, appearances here on this earth, where those thought, how powerful those thoughts are, where they're going, what effect they're having, um, and I have a feeling in most cases it's far greater than we can realize in this lifetime. Right, right. Well, now, do you think? Do you think then that uh, um, a majority of the, uh, the, the the creatures that are being cited that you write about uh, uh, fall within this category, or do you think that uh, some of them are actually, you know, physical creatures, you know, hiding themselves out in the uh, woods? Um, you know, I don't know, and I think particularly particularly with the Bigfoot and the Dogman, you can make a pretty strong case either way and for many years you know i i would look at the the dogman sightings that came in to me say and it seemed to me that although they were behaving in unusual ways they weren't necessarily doing anything that you could say was downright paranormal i mean they they would have the normal canine eye shine almost all the time which is a yellow green goldy perhaps not the glowing red um, but they would have that, the normal eye shine. They might be a little bigger than usual. Um, walking, they might walk on hind legs, but that's nothing that 
a canine or really almost any mammal cannot learn to do if motivated um, or trained to do that. You know, there's no reason that I've been able to uncover. I haven't been able to find a single naturalist or zoologist that knows of this occurring in the wild, but yet it's not necessarily a supernatural act. So um, for a long time, I've estimated that, you know, somewhere um, above 90% of all these dogman sightings could possibly be explained by some sort of natural wolf that had adapted by maybe there were one or two mutations of large, of ones with larger paws or, um, hind paws especially that enabled it to stand more easily and that the, uh, that w- that trait was passed down and so you ended up with the, you know, certain ones that, that could do this for, for certain, um, you know, it would be handy to be able to uh, carry your prey away in your in your um, paws rather than having to drag it on the ground, for instance. And we have numerous witnesses that have seen them doing this. Same thing with the Bigfoot. They, um, you know, are upright. They have, but they can also go on all fours when they need to. You know, as 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 can the dogmen. So these two seem to have a big uh, case that can be made for them being um, natural most of the time. But then over the years, I realized I've gotten like a significant number of reports of people. Um, seeing both the Bigfoot and the Dogman doing things like repelling bullets or at least not reacting to an automatic, right. you know, round being emptied into their chest. It's almost like right. they've got Kevlar under their fursuits, you know. Um, right. or, or doing things like dashing in, in midair or, uh, tracks that turn from, uh, wolf-like to Bigfoot in mid-stride. Things like that that are totally right. inexplicable. And the interesting thing to me is that, um, when I've been able to interview Native Americans from various tribes, um, and they all, you know, they they don't have a monolithic belief system. These these vary, but overall, most of them have told me that they believe both the Wolfman and the Bigfoot um, are very ancient creatures. They were here before man, and that they are based in what they call a spirit world. We might call it a bubble universe attached to our right or another you know dimensional world or something but they they call it the spirit world and that they come here for their own reasons you know they can feed they can procreate they can digest things they can leave piles of of scat um all that stuff they're solid they can leave footprints but when they need to or want to they know how and where to go back into that other world and that's why you don't find the bodies that's why you do see them occasionally doing strange things and then there's a third category which are the shamanic uh, manifestations, you know, more like the thought forms where you have like the skinwalkers. When you, when somebody reports to me a canine with brightly glowing red eyes, shoulders, definite shoulders, which canines don't have, oftentimes hands instead of paws, then I start to think some type of, uh, magically, uh, you know, uh, roused up being. Right, right. Well, one thing that you, that you mentioned that was interesting was the, was the, again, the problem of density. The fact that sometimes anomalous entities can repel bullets, blows with objects, things like this. And this ties into the idea that, that they are from somewhere else because their density is different than ours, at least when they're here. Now, mm-hmm. whether some of them are subterranean, which some of them actually may be, or, or other dimensional, which they may be. Or those two things may actually overlap, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. But 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 the thing is that if you go back, and this is something you know, which I've you know written about quite a bit, but to tie into the quantum side of it, it all over the world you have traditions, whether it's the Arabs and the Jinn, the the British Isles and the fairies, the Scandinavians mm-hmm. and the trolls and the Holder folk. These beings 
have an aversion to one thing, not silver, as you know, recent folklore mm-hmm. based on Hollywood would tell us. They have right. an aversion to iron. Yes, iron. Iron seems to disrupt the electromagnetic field that allows them to manifest or to maintain their presence here. Mm-hmm. And they definitely do not like iron. So, you know, ancient tribes all over the world would sleep with a knife by their side or, or, or would, would talk about, you know, the whole idea of horseshoes is good luck come from the fact, comes from the fact that in, in the Scottish Highlands, they believe that putting these iron horseshoes over doors and windows would repel these beings from being able to enter the home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we look at that, we have to say, you know, there's something here that actually does tie into a scientific explanation. There's something going on um, in terms of electromagnetism, and uh, these things are vulnerable to a disruption in whatever field it is that they generate or use to to manifest or, or to harass people. So saying that, I would recommend that anybody actually that wants to shoot one of these things, you could buy steel buckshot. Mm. Although I'd like to say that I don't recommend just going out to shoot these things. No, no, <laughs> if, no, if, no. If your life is being threatened, that's different. Yes, you know? But exactly. but I'm not I'm not a person that believes in going out and shooting and killing something just because you don't know what it is. Oh no, I'm talking about self defense. Right, like, like, right. You, you know, there's there's a story out there from a very reliable source apparently about one of these uh, a Bigfoot type beings that was stalking and harassing people at a remote cabin mm-hmm. and it was trying to grab a child through a window mm-hmm. and the mother I believe it was came in and shot it with a with buckshot and it howled in pain and ran away mm-hmm. now you know did anybody ever ask what type of buckshot that was you know you can get steel shot you right a steel loads right. For, for a shotgun. So, you know, maybe maybe it was steel loads that repelled this thing and made it leave. Yeah, so. and, and then it would be in interfering with its etheric uh, body body structure. Yeah, and, you know, I've played with that uh, myself. My, my fantasy novel is not about werewolves, although it does mention a, a Bigfoot in it, but it's about ancient trickster godlike beings that can take different sorts of forms. One of them has the form of uh, Abraham Lincoln, so it can conveniently get more um, people to trust it and become uh, disciples but when it right. get, when it gets this disciple who is the, who is the protagonist of the book and and they happen to be on a an iron fire escape which is being torn away from the building by another one of these god things and she's looking to him expectantly to save her he's like as they're as they're being you know torn and the thing is being thrown down he's like you know i'm not so good with iron i've told you that before (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah exactly but see this is something that you do find all over the world even in the uh in asia you know you find that these things have an aversion to iron and steel because steel is is a variation of iron Mm -hmm. um you know, so for people out there that do concern themselves with these things, I would just say make sure that you, you know, if you go into wilderness and say you're in an area like in the areas that uh, David Pilates writes about, you know, don't don't just take uh, a, 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 a sage smudge stick, okay? <laughs> yeah. Take something else with you. At, at least a good can of hornet repellent. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's highly underestimated. Not mosquito spray. I'm talking about hornet repellent that shoots a stream for about ten feet of right. highly highly volatile stuff. That yeah. That, you mean for like bears and such too? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. Not. Yeah. Not. I mean, they say um, I'm. 
bear bear pepper spray is probably infinitely superior. And if you are being um, rushed upon by one, a gun is even better in that case. You know. Yeah. But but yeah, I'm always telling people who've never really been out in the woods and they want to go hike and look for creatures. Hey, mm. you know, guess what? There are also things like mountain lions, bears. Um, you know, rattlesnakes. Yeah. Rattlesnakes. Yeah. Wherever you are, there's going to be some sort of big predator that's a natural thing that you're more likely to run into. Because really, um, you can't just go hiking and expect to see a Bigfoot or whatever on your first... If, right. Especially if you're expecting it to. It's almost like they know you're coming. Yeah. If you're looking for one, it's like they know you're looking for them. That's right. And it, and for me, when I've had experiences, and I have had experiences, um, they've all been at times when I was not expecting it i was out just walking i was doing something else and my mind was not on it and that's when it's always happened for me have you noticed this too that there are people who will tell you that they seem to know when people are armed and when they're not armed i think even uh david polites has talked about that you know yeah yeah, they 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 appear to uh, they, they seem to appear to most often to people who are not just not expecting but are also unarmed but if you're armed, you're lucky if you see them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think in his book he says that um, nobody to his knowledge has ever been, disappeared or been abducted that has had both a firearm on them and some sort of GPS location device, you know, where they right. can be where they can be tracked, which I think right. is is really, really interesting. But, you know, my um, biggest experience when I really was convinced for the, you know, in my body, not just intellectually, that Bigfoot was real, was when I saw a 35-foot-long, 8-inch diameter living branch of a living oak tree ripped in two motions, torn, twisted and, and ripped off of a tree. It was 40 feet up the tree, and I, right. it was in the Kettle Moraine area um, near where I live. I did. I had just gone out. For a little hike on a little area where I often often went, knew it well. Nobody was around. It was a beautiful Sunday evening, like 7 p.m. My husband was out fishing, and I just thought, oh, I'm just going to take a walk. I didn't even have a camera. I didn't even have my cell phone with me. And that was when this thing happened, you know. And normally, I almost always have at least a cell phone. And right, that, right. that's when, you know, it, it doesn't. But this, this thing, and if you're curious about that, it's both... It's recounted both in my Real Wolfman, True Encounters in Modern America book, um, the full fullest version. And then there's also one in lindagodfrey.com. Just sc- uh, scroll down to July 12th, or right. July 2012, well, and you can see it. Well, remember, I think I've tagged you in a couple of, of uh, more or less private photo albums on Facebook. One was about... Uh, uh, well, I'm, having a, I'm having a seizure here. One was about where... where uh, um, Ley lines cross and and, and, mm-hmm. and vortices and stuff, mm-hmm. and how these apparently they do correspond to certain areas where activity is taking place of various types. And the other was a thing I, I had I had tagged you in of a of a limb that was ripped off of a tree that I actually took photos of. And it's like you said, it was a large limb that was a sweet gum tree, which is not a real hard tree, mm-hmm. but it was like well in toward the trunk. It was about as big around as my thigh, right and. It was twisted. Yes. In other yep. words, it looked like some gigantic hands had gripped it in two places yep. and just twisted it like a, like a, I don't know, like, like a, like a dish rag. Exactly. And, it and it's interesting it you should say that because if, if you go and look at, uh, lindagodfrey.com, July 2012, you'll, and, and look under the Bigfoot branch, I've got pictures too there and, 
those handprints that you mentioned yes. were rubbed off on the bark. I mean, the bark was yes. rubbed off in the two spots where something huge would have had to have bent over. And I've taken right. somebody, and you know, the branch is still there. I mean, I go visit it every once in a while. Well, just, I took pictures too, and so, there yeah. were there were what looked like handprints or right. some, like something had gripped it and twisted it. And this was a tree limb that exactly. was probably and 20, I, I 20 feet up, at least 20 feet up. Yep. This one was at least, it was between 30 and 40 feet up. And it was, yeah. interestingly, one of the only trees down in the region where I was at that time that could have held a really large Bigfoot at the time. And there's right. just nothing else that could have done this. And I've had, I had somebody who was like six foot two try to bend over and place his hands on both of those spots, you know, at the same time. And even though right. they were, they were arranged in exactly the same position that he was taking in order that he would have had to, to grab that uh, limb and twist it, he was still only about halfway to reaching to where each of those was and in proportion. And I have the actual, one of the actual rub pieces had fallen down and I have a picture of that there too, and it looked exactly as if, it, like, if you laid your hand flat on a paper, and then you were just going to kind of try and scrunch that paper up off the table. That's exactly what it looked right, like. Right, exactly. And that, I don't know if you recall, but I had I had tagged you. I think at the pictures of these of this limb, I think I tagged Tim too. Mm-hmm. But it looked like you know that, that something had literally taken this huge limb. And yep. just twisted it till it till it tore apart, yep. and the wind the wind can't do that not not like no. that. No, um, and there, another, there was no there was no wind when I had the, there hadn't been storms for um, you know probably at least a month that I could remember, and it was perfectly still, perfectly right. still. There was absolutely no wind, and yet this cracking sound that it made was just like you might hear like in an ice storm when the ice gets too heavy exactly. and suddenly and suddenly it. cracks it off. You know, and, middle of the night. That's what yeah. I heard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, 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 and the thing about it is that think about, if you think about these beings, okay, let's say if they're physically real or if they're temporarily physically in our, in our, 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 our realm of existence, mm-hmm. things that large lurking in the treetops, now that's disturbing. Now people it go is. looking for these things and they yeah. want to look across. They think, oh, I'm going to see it walk across. Well, first of all, According to various witnesses, these beings are so large and dark that all they do is they hunker down. They look like a stump. They stand up yes. against a tree. They look like a tree. I've experienced but, you, that, yes. Yeah. But you think about them possibly, or they they lie down in the brush, and you can't see them because they're just a big dark mass. Right. But if they're up in the trees, who looks up in the trees? Right. Who exactly. does that? Who walks around looking, you know, 30 feet I, up? See I'll tell you what, I do now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I do that all the time because that's, that's where it was. And you know, it made a lot of sense because the position it was in, um, was a perfect place to jump down on this huge deer path, a very well often used deer path. So, right. um, it, it, I think that it was sitting up there getting ready for dark to fall and then, you know, waiting for its supper to walk by. And I, interrupted it and just, yes i think you know, you're exactly but, exactly right you interfered and that yep. was a tantrum yep it was because it was and yep. you know the thing was um it was powerful i mean right. you can't say that's only a you know a, a ghost or or an interdimensional thing with no um weight to it or as right. you say density right. because 
Right. Imagine the pounds per square inch that it took right. to for a living. And this, and see, I went back down. I went and got a friend and her daughter, and we went back down about half an hour later because I had to know for myself if that branch was somehow, if some crazy human had gone down in that kettle, climbed 40 feet up the tree with a, a saw and sawn part of it off, or if one of the, right. uh, we have woodpeckers, if one of the woodpeckers would have gotten it, there was no indication of damage, rot, saw marks, or anything, you know, right, so it, right. was, it was just a live, and it was full of green leaves, which is why I couldn't see the Bigfoot itself at that time, but I'll tell you what, while we were down there, my friend's daughter got to see it, she saw its entire body as it disappeared behind another foliage wow. in, in another uh, kettle, we were standing on a ridge, and she saw it. And by the time my friend and I turned our heads, it was gone. But it also, right. we also all smelled it. I'll never forget that smell. And I know now exa- there are variations of it, but um, yeah, I've smelled it too. This it's like a, it's a mix of uh, to me, it's a mix of animal odor, um, rotting something rotting, like right. and like a sulfide and and urine. That's what it smelled like to me. Sometimes I've smelled it sometimes with the urine and sometimes not. This was, and I was, because I've talked about this a lot and I was talking about it with um, a friend just yesterday and I was sort of joking because um, it wasn't as foul as like a, it was musky, skunkish, but not foul as a Exactly. But with like this odor of, if you've ever had a pile of grass that started rotting mm. and was somewhat Swedish, you know, it wasn't a terrible smell, but just kind of that rotting grass smell, that's what it was like. And it was exuded all of a sudden, it just sort of flooded over us. Exactly. And I, and I Almost like a spray. Almost like yeah, a spray. It, yeah. yeah. An emission. But filling the air, and I was joking that well, here here we had our friend's you know twenty year old um, you know very fertile young daughter a lot, and he's like he saw yes. her and went oh yeah. you know yeah. and just couldn't help himself, but <laughs> but but emit this this odor, and and there probably was something tinged, but it was angry, it, and then it growled. So and the growl was very very close, and that was well, the point we knew we had to get out of there. We, we were well, probably to me to, to me it's a ter- we did. when it when it destroys something like that. When they destroy something like that, it's a territorial display. I, you know, yes. when, yeah, it's like I am, or, or at least it's like with the 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 limb that I took photos of that was done that way. I, it's a way of saying, yeah, I'm here. I came this close. Look what I can do. You know, right. it's that exactly. kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. And you know, it was also there was also some of that mental aspect involved because prior to that point, I had never tried you know whacking a tree with a stick but it it just so happened that on that walk i happened to notice there were three saplings that were bent over in a perfect rainbow arch and somehow fastened on the other side that hadn't been that way before and i knew that was the bigfoot signal you know considered to be the many people that i that i knew and i thought "Hmm, that's interesting what if i just hit a tree once you know nobody's around um nobody will hear me or or think anything of it and so i picked i I walked partly off of the the trail on down this path toward the the kettle and took a few whacks and it answered me that was what got me going yeah it, it hit the tree back and i knew coming from where it was that it, i knew it had to be either a human or a bigfoot because nothing yeah. else could hold the stick i didn't think a human would possibly be down there at that time uh, they just don't that nobody walks down in those in those kettles well I'll, I'll just say that i have experienced these things quite a bit tim knows what i'm talking about um i will also say this that very recently i was out near an, an abandoned house 
close to some woods, and I heard what sounded like a voice, a weird, very strange voice. Now, I have someone else who has told me about hearing a conversation on the opposite side of this property that I'm talking about. Can I ask you, did, like, it sound, did the voice sound like um, Bowser and Sha Na Na? It, it was kind of like a... Like oh. That. <laughs> yeah. okay. but, 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 but there was a, another uh, incident where somebody heard what sounded like chattering in another yeah. language. And I found some Bigfoot vocalizations online and played them for this witness, and he said that is exactly what he heard. It sounded almost like a Middle Eastern gibberish, you know, like that, like yes. that, you know. And then it would go real high, you know, like that. And he heard this, and, um, you know, weird stuff like that happens. But I had an elderly lady tell me just a few days ago that – um that she heard some wood knocks very close to the same area. Um, she was outside late in the, well, not late in the, about, about mid afternoon. She was outside doing something and she heard just these, this series of this whap, whap, whap. And there was nobody anywhere near where right. these noises came from. So yeah. these things do happen. And, do. uh, yeah. I had, I, I had a wood knock turned in the same general area just yesterday and I happened to be standing in a place where it was, it was distant but I had a kind of a straight line of vision to it and I could see the actual tree that was being shaken as it was being made because it was hit so hard that <clears throat> the, the wood stick bounced a couple of times after it right. made the initial crack and I could see in the distance where that tree was shaking and I just went the other way. <laughs> when you think about the, so- the size and the power. Yeah. I haven't heard some of these wood knocks myself. I, they must be picking up something enormous to well, hit I those think, trees with. Yeah, I think they're picking up, you know, large limbs. And that's yeah. why I don't think, I mean, it's nice that, you know, people have special baseball bats made or they've got special wood knock machines. But I think you're probably um, smartest to just do what they do and look for the nearest tree limb because every kind of material has its own vibratory rate and you're going to get a slightly right. different sound using a, a baseball bat or a wood knock machine than you're going to get with the real limb on the real tree. It just, even I can kind of tell the difference. And so that's right. what I use. But, um, yeah, I was with, uh, some friends. Uh, I was up in northern Michigan up in the UP. I have some friends who have property and they've had two Bigfoot sightings there. And we were out doing some wood knocking and, uh, the, the male property owner picked up a much bigger limb than I could handle and gave, gave this mighty thwack against the tree. And we did get a response from that from a distance, but it was a definite response. And it was right. out in a smart, a marshy, lakey area, um, you know, where there wasn't, just wasn't going to be anybody else. It was, it was quite Yeah, that's really strange. Well, you've also written about Bigfoot type beans and mm-hmm. canine headed beans being seen together. Correct? Well, actually, well, actually um, I, I, it's sort of the opposite. Um, th- they'll be in the same general areas, but they seem right. to like, they like different parts of them. For instance, you can find them both, both types, it, reports of both types in Walworth County going back decades. Um, the, both, both types of creatures going back decades, but I can almost draw you a line and say on this side of the line, they're going to be the Bigfoot, and on this side of the line, they're going to be the dogmat, kind of going diagonally across across the county. The Bigfoots, they both like water. They both like marshy areas. But the Bigfoots particularly like to have um, that diversity in um, in height, the hills, 
um, high areas. That's why I think they like to be in the kettle moraine because you've got these very deep kettle, t- kettle formations that go way down and v- with very steep sides that, um, it can be very difficult for a human to navigate. Um, and they're out, and that's why, you know, you think of the mountains in the Pacific Northwest and, and other places like that where they're really entrenched and they like these, these hilly areas where the dogmen are more likely to be seen um, in flat marshes, cornfield areas, um, arboreal type settings, you know, different types of forests, that kind of thing. Although none of them are averse to coming into civilized areas anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is scary. They're just like the bears. I mean, they're coming in. So do you think that these dogmen are natural creatures or do you think they're genetically engineered or are they, again, some of these manifestations from the quantum world? Well, now, you well, know, I, uh, before you answer that, Linda, I was, I was just going to say, I was going to ask a, a similar question to that, Mike, in that uh, it, it seems to me that um, Dogman is is more of a recent type of uh, uh, sighting because, I mean, I, I think about, you know, like, what, 10, 20 years ago, you'd never heard of the Dogman phenomena, and now it's, it's all over the place. Uh, I mean, is this... Uh, is this a is this a true assumption or is this a situation maybe where people would see it and maybe mistake it for say like a Bigfoot type of creature or something like that? Well, that's possible. And then also, I have found that for a long time there was uh, kind of a big bias in the Bigfoot community that anything furry and standing upright had to be a Bigfoot. And with people even going so far as to call the dog man, even though it had canine legs, ears on top of the head, and a long snout, the snouted Bigfoot. You know, which, um, I, and I just never saw why one type of witness should be more or less accurate than the other type of witness. They were all, when, when people get a very clear look at either one, they know what they're seeing because they're very, one's canine, one's a primate. You know, so they're very different. And, you know, and as to, you know, exactly what I think it is, it is possible that we're seeing different kinds of things. Um, I, it is possible that there are some naturally adapted wolf-like animals that can run upright now and then when they want to. Um, we, I'm sure there's some kind of, of, uh, otherworldly type of creature, for lack of a better word, that would sort of encompass maybe the, you know, uh, the, the shaman generated, uh, projection type creatures, um, maybe something from a different world. I'm, you know, I'm not sure. There, there are lots of different possibilities, as I mentioned earlier. So I, I do think it's possible we're looking at several different types of things. With the Bigfoot, it's kind of more cut and dried. It, it almost seems like it, it's, um, you know, it, it doesn't have that many possibilities. Although, if there was a natural type of primate, um, you know, that, that could be imitated also by shamans. That could happen. Some people think that they're a different type of Native American tribe altogether. Um, I know there are some, especially up in the Pacific Northwest, there are some tribes that believe that they're just, they call them forest people, that sort of thing, hairy man. And why couldn't they have their own shamans who would do that and, and, and who would be able to appear and perform what seemed like magical tricks, you know, to our eyes. That's, that's another thing that just recently occurred to me. Hmm. Possibilities. Well, you know, here in uh, here in Indiana, I've talked to um, members of uh, some of the local uh, tribes, and several of them have told me that it's it's in their mythology that that these uh, uh, Bigfoot creatures 
while some of them are, you know, like uh, um, living creatures that that you know actually you know, live in the woods, and uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, some of them are actually uh, at one time were people. And that something mm-hmm. happened to them, mm-hmm. um, and they were changed into uh, these uh, uh, th- th- these Bigfoot types of creatures. And, and in fact, I um, I talked to a, a lady near Sullivan, Indiana, whose um, husband disappeared one day as he was going to work, and almost exactly a year later, she saw a, a Bigfoot standing in her backyard, looking at the house, and she said that. That was her husband. She said she could tell from its eyes that that really? was that that was her husband. And then, was and this she, a Native American couple? No, actually, this this really? was yeah, this was a uh, um, you know a, a Caucasian couple. And mm-hmm. uh, I just I was just always fascinated because I mean he apparently he had left to go to work, and then later when she went outside, his car was still there, and his his belongings were outside uh, outside the car. But he was gone, and he was never, you know, wow. never seen again. So. Wow, that now that that's a little scary. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yeah, and I, I've heard from other uh, from some tribal members too that um, there they'll say there's an ancient business between like the dogmen and the Bigfoot and humans, and they don't ever want to talk about exactly what the ancient business was. But they say that's why they don't usually hurt us. Although I know there are also other. Um, you know, stories about Bigfoot, especially at different times, having been, um, uh, like, liking people to eat, you know, and, and take, taking people for dinner purposes. Um, I, you don't hear that much anymore. Most mm. people don't, don't seem to think that, but how do we know? We really, mm. don't, we really don't know what happens to these people who dis- disappear if any of them are taken by Bigfoot. We don't know that for sure either, usually. Well, you think about though the uh, uh, whatever it was that uh, uh, twisted that tree limb off uh, where you were and tossed it down. It could have very easily have just jumped down and broke your back. You know, easily. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah. it could have. But it yep. didn't. It didn't though. Right. And right. I, and especially when the when my friend and her daughter and I were kind of prowling around down there and not realizing how close it still was. You know, we thought it was gone, but it evident it wasn't. It was it was down there and. It, you know, it could, her daughter is a, a, a very petite, um, gal. He, he could have grabbed her, Natalie, and, and just run off with her, you know, probably never would have seen her again, but nothing, I think maybe there is strength in numbers, and we were keeping pretty close to one another, which is a good thing to do anytime you're out in the woods. Well, um, I don't know. Yeah. It it does it does make you stop and consider though, especially like uh, the stories that uh, David Pilates has uh, collected in his. Uh, 411 books whether or not even though you know he he doesn't openly speculate about it it just makes you wonder if a lot of these missing cases aren't people who have had a run-in uh with these unknown creatures you know you know i mean some of the children who have actually made it back have reported that they were taken by say like a a big dog i remember one little girl in michigan right that's what she said or a bear right a bear something like that yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, guys, it is time for us to uh, uh, go to our break here. So let's go ahead and do that and get out of the get that out of the way so we can get back to our, uh, our conversation. 
So you are listening uh, to uh, The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz with Mike Mott. Our guest tonight is Linda Godfrey. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Bible Spells. Here for the first time in the inspired pages of Bible Spells, Reverend William Orabello unveils a concealed code hidden throughout the Holy Scriptures that can bring you an abundance of money, personal success, as well as love, good luck, healing, happiness, and protection of your home as well as loved ones. More important than the Bible code or Nostradamus' prophecies, this secret code was revealed to Reverend Orabello during an encounter with divine, supernatural beings who changed his life forever. Now you can learn this unique system yourself to materialize all of your personal needs and influence others. Order William Orabello's Bible Spells from Amazon.com or get your copy, a free Bizarre Bazaar subscription as well as a bonus companion DVD for $20 with free shipping and handling by calling 646-331-6777. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. Is the moment I knew that for him... You can't even see the top of that thing! Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Join the club that gives you stuff. Hey, thanks! Radio Loyalty. Here's how it works. Just click on the Radio Loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then, you keep on listening like you already do. But now, you earn points. Those points add up, and you can trade them in for stuff in the Radio Loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the new Players App Store. Pretty simple, right? Radio Loyalty. Click that banner to join now. 
You're listening to the Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. Lyle Blackburn's group, isn't it, uh, Mike? Yes, it is. They All do right. some really cool music. That's right. That's really a, good music. Well, I say that's that's appropriate uh, music for uh, tonight's uh, tonight's show. Yep. Um, so tonight we are talking with uh, Linda Godfrey, and uh, uh, before we shift gears, uh, Linda, I just wanted to ask you really quick. You were um, you were referring to when you were out. And you had your experience with the uh, uh, whatever it was that uh, twisted the, the large limb off the tree. Later, you uh, you were with some friends, and uh, one of them was a uh, a young girl in her twenties. And I just couldn't help but think, and you know, I remember John Keel making references to this that a lot of these strange cryptid creatures seem to be attracted to. Um, well, uh, uh, young women or mm-hmm. couple, couples who are, uh, say, like, you know, out uh, trying to have a little uh, uh, private canoodling time. Mm-hmm. And I, I just always found that interested, interesting on how these things are obsessed isn't the right word, but let's just say interested in uh, human sexual behavior. Yeah, it seems like, you know, there, there's some, I don't know if it's the emotional content, you know, if there, I mean, a lot of people have theorized that the reason these creatures sort of have encounters with, with humans, um, and then run away is that they're sort of like emotional vampires. They can somehow feed off the energy that humans emote when they're having strong right. feelings of fear or whatever. And that, you know, when you have, um, you know, the young, young people have, you know, much stronger, um, emotions going on within them probably than, than, than older people, or at least, at least, the, I don't know what, what the word I'm searching for here is. Um, but, it, you know, it might, it might be more apparent, you know, <laughs> maybe we can think of it that way. Um, so, it, it could be that there's sort of, it's another type of emotion that they're feeding from and, and getting energy. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, right, yeah. Right, def- right. You know, the the human well, the human mind is the brain is an electromagnetic transmitter and receiver. Our whole body is gen- exactly. Yeah, but but the brain in particular, yes. and it 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 generates the most powerful electromagnetic field when it's either in a state of of terror or rage. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it, it would make sense as to why they seem they seem sort of intent on frightening people, and then they don't follow. Right. You know, people will say to me, you know, I was sure I was lunch. I thought it was going to eat me. I thought it was going to do, you know, jump in my car, and then you know, it it just ran away. I stepped in the gas and I looked, and it was gone. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
So why would it's like it's eliciting this response and then yeah okay exactly. I got what I wanted and then off it goes. Exactly, it's getting the fix. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good there way During our break, uh, uh, Linda, you mentioned that uh, you have a, a new book that uh, currently is now at the publisher, uh, waiting a uh, publication, and uh, you said that uh, this one is going to deal more with the uh, more strange aspects of uh, this phenomenon. Yeah, it's a, lo- a lot along the lines of what we've been discussing mm-hmm. earlier in the show. Um, and the, the title of it isn't quite decided yet. It will be out sometime in 2016. But it is along the, uh, the lines of the stranger side of the strange creatures. I mean, if upright wolf-like things weren't strange enough as it is, we know that they are sometimes seen behaving really strangely or disappearing you know and for instance one one theme that underlies this book is i'm i'm making public for the first time the story of um a two-year-long experiment that i've been following with a landowner in southeastern wisconsin who um has it's sort of like a mini skinwalker ranch scenario we've had everything going on there and we put out uh, deer carcasses that he obtains legally in Illinois and transports here in his own vehicle to his own property. And they're used they're roadkill deer, you know, so nothing was harmed just just for the making of it. But we we've had fifteen of them now and um they completely thwart all efforts by trail cams. We've had as many as four trail cams on one of these carcasses. And there will be like half an hour's time in which the carcass is either totally taken or sometimes it's moved eight feet and big chunks are taken or different things are done. And either there's nothing on the trail cam or we get this strange mist covering the whole thing or, you know, something else odd happens. And we've had a variety, we have tracks of different types. I have, we have sightings of both dogman and Bigfoot, but no Bigfoot tracks, only dogman tracks and some other type of tracks that we call fist tracks because it looks like something's walking on its its fists and they're almost like um they look almost like hoof prints but they aren't quite hmm. and these are always the same, they're always about 5 inches in diameter very deep into dry soil even like something very heavy is walking and they're bipedal you know so um we we've just got mysteries galore and uh the homeowner has been keeping detailed records and and we continually try and think up new ways that we can um, try and record something and maybe, maybe pull one over on whatever this. It seems to be a, a unique intelligence that's out there. And of course we never can. Um, and we've even, we recently, a few weeks ago, had a very frightening experience with, um, some type of unidentified aerial object. And it looked like, um, it looked like an airplane light at first. And, and it turned out to be we were I was sitting out there with the property owner and another investigator and we had just been thwarted in cameras again and and so we had decided just to do some nighttime uh, field sitting, which we've done before and happens often. But um there was a light that we thought was it was very similar to airplanes passing overhead, except it was very low over the tree line where we always put the the bait carcasses. And all of a sudden I said, Hey guys that's not an airplane because it's moving slowly back and forth. Not a little jittery like you sometimes see, you know, yeah. airplanes appearing. And this was a big, bright white light. Mm-hmm. And 
as we watched it and we're trying to figure out what it is, it starts coming toward us across mm. the field. And it got to the point where we all realized suddenly that it was much closer and much lower. There was no sound. It was much lower and closer to us. It was only mimicking being an airplane. And it wasn't like a craft. It was like a solid mass of globular light that we all described as about the size of a basketball, we realized, when it got that close. And my my fellow investigator, who was holding a very giant flashlight, um, jumped out of the car and shot the flashlight beam at this thing and there was there was a moment of hesitation where this it was like this thing was going what oh you know or i what yeah. do i now or i didn't that was the feeling we all had from it. it was just a feeling but we all felt the same thing and then it literally just disintegrated into mm, that yeah. flashlight beam yeah and we all went what the you know yeah various epithets yeah. you know well, after that. that's interesting because and i've talked about this on the show uh, about a year ago, I was with a group of other people, and we witnessed something similar. It was mimicking an airplane, and at first, it was mimicking an airplane, mm-hmm. but it was hovering. And then it sat very still on the hilltop and started blinking, and nearby was a cell phone tower, maybe you know a few hundred yards away. And it looked like it was imitating this cell phone tower, and it just so happened that at that time, airplanes were flying over. Mm-hmm. As soon as the airplanes were gone, it started acting like it had been before, oh. moving around, you know, very obvious what it was doing. And then it actually flew nearby within probably two or 300 yards, and several of us got a really good look at it, and it was something that was mimicking an airplane. It wasn't really an airplane. It was right. a totally nonsensical object with lights and, and yeah. panels on it. It didn't even make any sense. Yeah, and you just and it was silent except for like a whoosh, a very faint whoosh like wind. Other than that, it was totally silent. Yeah, we didn't even hear anything with this, but that's fascinating because I've often wondered if they're up there flying around and you can see airplanes. Why don't the airplanes see them? You know, at the same time, and and are they showing up? Well, we've witnessed it more than once doing this. By the time this thing had been seen, I think we had about eleven overall witnesses to this thing. Different people. you know, who happened to be around when it would show up. Mm-hmm. And it would do that. It would, when airplanes came over, it would either blink out completely and then come back when the planes were, were, were gone, or it would stop atop a hill and just sit there and blink. And That's crazy. Yeah, nothing yeah. does that. I mean, nothing yeah. we know of does that. It, it wants to fool, you know, the, the airplanes into thinking it's a tower. It's obvious what it's doing. Right, exactly. Yeah. Huh, yeah, there, I mean, there's just crazy stuff out there. But so the new, so my new book will, it'll detail what we've learned from all of this. And, um, unfortunately, you just can never, this is the thing that occurs over and over. You can never come to any conclusions. I mean, even mm-hmm. that original Skinwalker Ranch, maybe they had some secret conclusions. Maybe there was something they learned that they didn't want to tell. But, um, Anybody reading the books were still left just about as mystified and baffled as we were um, in the beginning, more amazed after having read about the full range of it. But we've had things that looked exactly like the portal in the Skinwalker Ranch. We've seen pieces of or parts of what look like black furry creatures walking here and there, but they 
never uh, quite show themselves. Strange, strange light forms that aren't able to be debunked by, you know, being insect rods or, you know, these other things that usually, or, or you know, normal orbs, things that usually show up in photos. They're nothing like that. So, um, and we, I think we've got like 130,000 trail cam photos. And it doesn't matter if there's four of them on there, you know, it, it never, ever works. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny that you should uh, say that because, you know, uh, Les Stroud in his uh, recent uh, uh, series about him hunting for Bigfoot, he had, yes, a, a, he, he had a, a very similar occurrence where they put an apple up into a tree and uh, where there had been uh, uh, numerous Bigfoot sightings and had a trail cam aimed right at that apple. And the mm-hmm. resulting footage was that the apple was there one minute, the next minute it was gone. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And the thing is, it's so frustrating because, you know, I've got, I have my own trail cam that I, you know, use in my in my own places. And I'll have innumerable pictures of, you know, one time a squirrel will get the apple and you'll see the squirrel dragging it up the tree. Whenever it's a mundane animal, it works beautifully. But then when um, there's always a point where all of a sudden, there's a black frame or a white frame or just the camera's turned up white, upright even though it's been securely fastened to something and turned back and the bait is gone and nothing is there to have taken it. <laughs> uh, you know, you see, the, uh, you see the same kind of results happen when uh, people go in looking uh, uh, for uh, uh, ghosts or poltergeists or things like that. True. You know, the camera will, uh, for just an instant, stop working at the same time that uh, some kind of unusual activity happens. Or your batteries all drain. That happens to me again and again and again. I've had I've had that happen uh, to me one time when I was investigating a uh, uh, a poltergeist uh, ridden house, and I had uh, professional television equipment with me uh, with these you know the you know mm. the, hu- the huge Nikon you know, Nikon batteries that uh, go with them. They were right. all charged. I, the I big s- ones. Yep, I stepped inside the house. Everything was dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and we're not the only ones. This happens again and again and again. You know, you read it in, in people's, uh, recounts of, of their, their experiments and something doesn't like to be experimented with out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it, it does, I was going to say, it just, it, obviously, this goes with any type of anomalous being that basically preys on humanity in some way. It's in their interest for us never to figure out who they really are, what they really are, where they come from. And that's why this whole, you know, this whole outer space thing to me is, is a, is one of the biggest dodges ever. Oh, don't look, look here. Don't look here within the earth, around the earth, you know, in parallel dimensions. We come from way out there, you know, other side of the galaxy. Oh, we come from that star system. You could never possibly reach where we come from. You know, right. it's, it's misdirection. It's the same thing as, you know, the, the, the Greek, so-called Greek God saying, Oh, we live on top of Olympus. You can never get up there. You know, sorry, we can come down here and mess with your girls all we want to, but you can't ever get to where we are. You know, right. it's the same kind of junk. It's the same, the same sort of disinformation, misinformation, and misdirection. And I think but, that anything like that, it, it, it embarks on a, on a, uh, a campaign of disinformation. Right. And every religion, every culture going way back, always incorporates that trickster spirit in one way or another you know in the in the old um legends of pan for instance you know he was the 
the the trickster. You go back to um, you know the the Southwest Native Americans have the coyote is usually the trickster spirit. Um, right. You go back to the Scandinavians, it's Loki. There's always some sort of trickster spirit that is put there, sort of just to bedevil and and um, keep us off of our guard and. And, um, even, you know, even in the Bible, I don't think it's the same thing, but you see, um, Satan referred to as the father of lies, you know. So it's, it's this, this thing that is never quite telling the truth, never quite showing itself, making us think wrong things or different things than, uh, what is actually happening. Um, that is the other universal aspect to all these types of phenomena. Right. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that it's all about control. You know, if, if we, mm. if our perceptions can be controlled, then we cannot defend ourselves. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're easy prey for exactly. whatever, whatever they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it and it get, and it gets very. It, that's when it sort of gets creepy. I and that's the sort of thing I hate to think about when I wake up at one a.m. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, you're a Christian, so you know. Right. If, if this really is a, a bigger issue, whether it's you want to call the quantum realm, spiritual mm-hmm. world, or whatever, you know, there's a there's a reason that you're a Christian. So, you know, think of it like that. Well, uh, the Bible of course, talks about other realms. I mean, those right? Are, it does. You know. Well, it also says that. Uh, um, you know that there are multiple worlds that were created. Um, worlds, other beings. Yeah. I mean, and it talks about yeah. all kinds of other beings. Yes, it so, does. So if you if you start out with that biblical base in mind, it's really not such a a stretch to find that these are descriptions of some of those things that are. What what I have found, though, I will say from personal experience, but also from talking to a lot of other people, many, many, many people over the years. There is a, let me say how to phrase this. Let's say there are principalities and powers. There are beings who see certain areas as their domain of influence, their domain of, of, of dominion. They do not like it when people step on their toes. Mm. They don't like it when you write about it. They don't like it when you help somebody else that's having a problem. Mm-hmm. Those types of things. That is true. Yeah, and I think that is. I, and I think uh, John Keel even though he wasn't a Christian, I think he experienced that to some extent himself. Oh, yeah. He was completely yeah. badgered by weird phone calls and yeah. MIBs and all right. kinds of things. And I think that that was one of the reasons that, that uh, he had it so bad was because since he didn't have a defensive basis other than his own intellect, you know, he was kind of wide open to, to being harassed by these things that said, hey, you're stepping on our toes, you're sticking your nose in our business, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just my take on it anyway. Well, it makes sense if you are accepting that these things have an otherworldly basis. Well, right. then if you kind of need your own otherworldly defense, uh, you know, to work against them is maybe how, uh, one way of putting it. Right, exactly. Um, well, you know, one of the things that I found fascinating about your American Monsters book was the, not just the reptilian humanoids that you talked about, but one in particular, and just to switch gears a little bit here, the alligator man, which was really strange. The stories about this thing, uh, when it, it, it started coming around and, and getting after some people and, and even in the, when they were in their boat, 
Um, mm-hmm. It started harassing them. And then there was the other account about the, I think it was an, an island area that was a little isolated. And so it was doing something out there. You want to kind of elaborate on that and, and let the listeners know what that was all about? Yeah, this was something that came to me, um, you know, over some time. And it was from a young man who was actually um, work, working in the field and studying um, to, to be a, a marine biologist of some type and works in a paleontological museum. And he spends a lot of time in boats up and down the St. John's River area. He lives there. So he's out and about and in place to experience some of, the, some of these things a lot more than normal people would be. And I'll say up front that I took quite a long time. I talked to him many times. I took many uh, kind of depositions from him about his experiences, and I did background checking and all that kind of thing because I let him have quite a bit of room in the book because it's such an extraordinary story, and I wanted to make sure, you know, that that it was um, investigated to the best of my ability. And and he also signed a statement saying that, to his knowledge, everything he said was true and factual, you know, and, and signed that and... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what else exactly you can do, but but he did. He checked out in every way, and I, this chapter is titled "The Florida Gator Man." And right. he, he was eight, uh, 18 years old at at the time. I'm a little little older now, um, but he started seeing first. The first thing he saw was a manatee that looked like it had a big bite out of it. And there's really nothing that can normally do this to a manatee. He doesn't usually see that kind of of uh, damage on it. And then he started noticing this figure. He'd hear huge, huge splashes in the water. And especially when it was right at twilight, you know, that liminal zone when so many of these things uh, tend to happen. Uh, he'd hear a huge splashing and then he'd catch a glimpse of a blackish figure standing under cypress trees and he'd see it duck down into the water. And then he'd see it, he'd know it was standing in four feet of water and yet it was showing several feet above the water, so he knew it was probably at least seven feet tall. Right. And, but it didn't look like a human. And eventually, when he did start getting good looks at it, he realized it looked like an alligator, but one that could walk on its hind legs um, as much as it wanted to, and one that he, it didn't really resemble modern gators as much as it did some um, types that were, and forms that were supposed to be extinct you know it was almost like like people who see these uh pterosaurs in the sky it was he was right. looking at, at a different skull shape a different um sort of form to the to the snout the feet were different it wasn't a modern looking alligator it was something that shouldn't have been there that should have died out a long time ago but it was on two legs right Many of the times when he saw it, yeah, and 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 it would also follow him in the water. It almost reminded me of you know Peter Pan and Captain Hook with the <laughs> right. uh, you know the gator that that they could hear it ticking when it when it followed him and after it got his hand and and uh, it did he did feel that he was on his boat with a friend and one night uh, you know a covered boat and they and sought out the porthole and you know, kind of spent the night awake in fear that it was going to attack their boat. So, uh, and it has followed him home to his dock. He has said, um, he hasn't, I, I check back with him every once in a while, and he hasn't seemed to have had any experiences in the past year with it. But, you know, he doesn't discount that it might still be out there. 
That's just uh, that's just wild to think, though, that uh, somehow this this thing has targeted him. You know that mm-hmm. uh, it's it's got his scent or something. You know. <laughs> well, you know, to me, it's kind of like that same thing with the other creatures. Sort of understanding who's aware of them or who's looking for them. How, somehow they know that, and because he was in the occupation that he's in and paying particular um, particular attention to marine animals such as the manatees or whatever, you know, if that thing was there, it might have noticed, hey, he's, you know, messing with my dinner or, um, you know, what's he looking for? Does he know I... That's the kind of feeling. I know that sounds sort of crazy, but that's the sort of feeling that people get these things are thinking about them because it, it's like as soon as they start noticing, it starts noticing. It's, it's a, a two-way street, What's that, uh, uh, Mike? What was that? Uh, the line from uh, the 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 movie, The Mothman Prophecies. When you uh, stare into the abyss, the abyss will stare back. Or stare back. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. think Nietzsche, I think yeah. Nietzsche actually said that first. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There have been various various uh, forms of that same statement, but it does seem to be true. And lots of people will say, you know, it's like opening a window that you really can't close. And and of course, John Keel that is that we were talking about was famous for using that term window areas right. where it all of a sudden seems like there's a window between our world and this other world of other things and sometimes the windows open and they can get out and and you have a place like point pleasant west virginia or um right. you know other sorts of areas where you get flaps of monsters well, it's just, I mean, it's to, to consider that there could be uh, a, a living, you know, alligator man, uh, physical alligator man, you know, swimming around just, just kind of boggles the imagination. Uh, yeah. More so than if you think that it's some kind of, you know, like a, like a natural creature. I mean, something that is 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 physical and can be explained uh, by science. So I think it's 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 a little bit more comforting to think that you know you may be dealing with something that you know is able to slip into this reality and and back out again. But either way, you're not going to get uh, any serious scientists to investigate this one way or the other. It's, yep. you know, it's, it's just too preposterous. Right. And that's why, you know, he wanted to be, I mean, I have his full name and his contact info and all that, but he wanted to remain anonymous because he was sure that it would hurt his future career, you know, among other scientists if it came out that um, this was what he had experienced while he was in his studies. Well, yeah. So, yeah. And, and it's the same thing. Well, you know, it's the same thing with the, the upright canines and Bigfoot. And, you know, you have your um, rare examples like Dr. Jeff Meldrum and and other very educated people who risk um, their their reputations. You know, you had like John Mack and the UFO studies and and uh, and others. But they're, they're the rare ones. Most of the rank and file are much more concerned about their own positions and jobs and standing and don't want to be made fun of and, and uh, won't touch these things. Which that, uh, that reminds me, Linda, uh, I wanted to ask you, what was the reaction of um, your bosses at the newspaper when you first started um, 
uh, uh, publishing stories about the uh, uh, the the, the Bray Road uh, Beast. I mean, I'm sure at first it was you know like oh yeah, this is an interesting story, but I mean, did uh, uh, were you supported um, all the way around, or was there a concern on their part eventually that uh, you should uh, just leave it alone? Well. Actually, they were pretty supportive. I have to say, it, this was an unusual newspaper. I mean, it was uh, countywide. It was a circulation over 10,000, but it was still, you know, would be considered a, a smaller newspaper. But we had very good editors, very good people in place who had uh, a lot of experience other places. And they were open to it right away. We all thought it was kind of silly at first. I mean, I laughed too. I thought it was ridiculous um, that somebody, because they were calling them werewolves and you know, it was my own hometown, but we all agreed that it would be something kind of fun to look into. Um, they did a lot of fun feature stories, and so I did, and when I discovered that our local county animal control officer actually had a file folder marked werewolves that he was mm. keeping in his office, and I saw it because I happened to be working on a different project with him. He was investigating, um, you know, puppy mills and, and uh, things like that at the time. So I saw the folder, and when you've got a county official with a file folder marked werewolf, that's news. You know, it just is, and whatever may come of it. And so they were right. behind me 100% doing this story, and but none of us. I remember um, the the head, the main main editor, and I kind of joking that people would have fun with this for a couple of weeks, and then it would just go away and be forgotten. You know, something else would happen, and. Um, you know, we were never so wrong about anything because in two weeks it had just pretty well started going national. <laughs> so, uh, most sort of surprise. <laughs> I started to say, and there, and there, I mean, you, you had a whole, whole new career track right there in front of you that you, I mean, just a few weeks earlier, you had no idea that you were going to be heading off in that direction. Well, you know, I still didn't. I mean, I worked for the newspaper for 10 years after that, doing all different kinds of stories. I think over that 10 years, I only wrote four or five articles max, and the other ones were just like updates, like, oh, you know, sci-fi came to town, and I'd give a little description of that, or um, so-and-so saw it, there were three new sightings, and they weren't much. But, I mean, my main work was... um, you know, writing things on organ donation or um, investigating local school issues or um, I have some certificates from the um, Council on Developmental Disabilities. I did a lot of, of stories. You know, I mean, I was writing on very, very different things and also writing um, kind of a humor lifestyle column and doing editorial cartoons and comic strips and illustrations for the paper. So I was doing everything but, but all along during that time, people were not forgetting about the Beast of Bray Road and kept finding me. And this was before <laughs> everybody had the internet. You know, they had to write me snail mail or call the newspaper office and get me there. And um, people kept reporting things, not just the media who were wanting to know about it, but people who wanted to report things. And, you know, after 10 years, I thought, well, yeah, I had another big story that I had found from the newspaper that was a local true historic crime uh, called The Poison Widow, uh, True Story of Sin, Strychnine, and Murder. And I, that was my first book. And then I thought, well, if anybody's ever going to really tell the story of how this Beast of Bray Road thing came to be, the impact it had in the community, um, you know, everything that happened, I need to do that now. And so that was my second pitch to um, Wisconsin Trails Publishing. 
and they actually printed it under their history imprint along with where, hmm. where the other one was printed because a lot of it is, you know, just the, the local legends and other things that, that came up and, and, uh, sort of a sociological look at, at what people in, in the town did and how they reacted. And, you know, like we had, we had a politician, uh, claiming that the werewolf endorsed him and, you know, had a picture taken of, of, uh, somebody in a werewolf suit signing this. And he was a state representative and he won his election, you know, based on the werewolf, <laughs> the werewolf endorsement. I mean, so there were all kinds of th- yeah. crazy things like this going on. You know, it wasn't just a few people, you know, with a monster popping up saying boo. It was a, a phenomenon that, that, um, you know, was there and some people, laughed at it some people thought it was really awful and shouldn't be talked about it and some were intrigued you know it was a, a yeah right and it's still probably like that you know there's a big variety of opinion about it and um so but it was 10 years before i realized that i would just probably that i really quit the newspaper and just started writing books not just right. about these things because i also wrote um uh, Weird Michigan for the U- Barnes and Noble Weird U.S. series co-authored Weird Wisconsin. Did sequels to that. Um, I've written other types of books of, you know, as I mentioned, a fantasy novel, Guy Johnson. Um, you know, so I've, I've written other things, but I really still remain probably best known for those crazy, goofy, unknown, upright canines, as I like to call them. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is that, uh, it's interesting that a lot of these topics do overlap. They with, do. Fi- with fictional areas, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, again, we're talking about the collective unconscious here. How much of this stuff is actually coming out of expectations that are being, you know, put out there, um, whether it's from fiction or folklore or legends? And then again, the legends themselves, in my opinion, folklore and legends have a basis in reality most of the time. Most, I think so. the majority yeah. of the time, they, they don't just come out of whole cloth. You know, right. they're based exactly. on something. Yeah. And that was part of my thought process even in the beginning because, I mean, I never did think that, it, and I still don't, that it was an actual Lon Chaney Hollywood-style werewolf, you know. But I I thought, well, um, there are several reasons that it should be written. One, if there really is some weird predator out there on two legs, people have the right to know. And two, if it turns out to be just some sort of folklore legend, if I find out that people were making it up for some reason, which I don't believe is remotely possible anymore that even folklore if this is what people are telling around the campfires now and 20 years and 100 years from now somebody needs to write down the origins of this folklore you know and and support it this is what people were sent out to do during um, the 1930s when we had um, all the uh, writers were given work going out to record local folk legends as part of the WPA you know so it it it's something that um, has a, a long standing tradition in our country and was right. important just on those two bases already. I had no idea how widespread and large it would turn out to be, but um, you know I think and and I think the number of sightings. I mean, it's been twenty four years, and I still average one or two sightings of some type a week. Do you realize how many that? And some are better than others. Some are used. Some are not used. But um, and some weeks I'll get five. You know, and sometimes during certain uh, times I'll get many in a week. So there, there are a lot of people wanting to report this kind of thing. Yeah, I found that people usually don't just make things up like this when they come to you with a story. I've had so many people contact me. You know, they they often they don't even want their name used. They don't want to be identified. So that tells you. I mean. They're really worried about 
their job, their church, you know, those types of things. Exactly. And it has happened. I mean, I'm always trying to vet people. And there have been a few instances where um, I'm, I I know that they were or yeah. figured, it, figured it out. Or sometimes you can tell immediately from, oh, um, yeah. you know, from the yeah. tone when they're writing, you know, there'll be sort of a, a kind of a vague mocking tone to it. Uh, yeah. You learn to recognize those things. And there may have been one or two that slipped by me in all these years. Out of all or, they, or they try to tell you what they think you want to hear. That's true, yeah, and those yeah. are easy to tell, too, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, it was interesting. I guess it was about three or four years ago. I had a, a lady contact me um, from Jackson, Mississippi, and claiming that she'd had all these experiences in her house and all these things that she was that supposedly her, that she was claiming were happening, that she thought you know was evidence of paranormal phenomena. And everything that she that she would say was something that would have a rational explanation and it looked like she was trying to get me to say oh yeah that's mm-hmm. the devil you know something like that mm-hmm. right. so she's like well we have this problem with with bugs these insects i said have you called an exterminator <laughs> no we never did that yeah. I'm like, well i recommend you get some bug spray maybe some ortho home defense <laughs> you know spray around your doors and windows then she rushed me back a week later we did all that and it's still going on i said well I said, do you have like any, any trash that needs to be taken out or any, uh, is, is there a sewer? Right. Right. You know, uh, what would you call it? A, a manhole right uh-huh. by the, right, by right. the driveway. I said, well, then you need to get the city to come out and, and, and spray. You know, and, and she just kept on making things up and saying all kinds of crazy stuff. Everything that she said had a rational explanation. And it was pretty obvious, obvious it was just somebody who was fishing. Right. For something, I don't know, make me look stupid maybe. I don't know what she was up to. And finally, I just said, you know what? I said, until you do all these things that you say that, that, that I've told you to do and you show me some sort of documentation that you've done it, I can't help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have, to, you have to rule out the mundane. Well, I think it was, this was Before more Before you a, can really start yeah. thinking and accepting the other things. I, but, I, but oh, I mean, that's normal. What your advice was good for anybody, yeah, no matter yeah. whether you think they're fishing sure. or not. I had somebody who just wrote me and said, well, my sister and I were driving and we saw this really big dog and she got really scared. And I wrote back and said, well, unless it was doing anything weird, you know, or, or exhibiting other things or looking at you strangely, it probably was just a big dog. Right. You know? And, and you shouldn't worry unless it stands up and runs after you on its hind legs <laughs> or does something else that, that is threatening. So well, you know, I, I I have to, you know, having dwelt dealt with these these people in the so called skeptic community for years, you have to really watch out because they really will try to make you look stupid. There was a guy who was on the internet, and I, I actually know his real name because I'm the guy who uncovered who he was. He called himself the Odd Emperor, and his real initials are GP. But he uh, years ago he had a uh, a website called Empire of the Odd, and he would just find anybody at all who wrote about anything anomalous or anything alternative, and he would try to make you like you were a complete lunatic. He would lie, he would distort what you said, he would, you know, put all kinds of of uh, basically slander on his site, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that's how he made his his claim to fame in his little mind. And I tracked down who he was, I discovered who he was, um, I found it through uh, uh, just. You know, using his IP addresses that he was using, and mm-hmm. uh, he was some low-level lackey working at a community college doing uh, IP stuff uh, mm-hmm. or, or, or tech stuff. Mm-hmm. And I even had his web camera pictures of himself, you know. And so I kind of got really? the word out. Yeah, I got the word out, and reve- we all revealed who he was. 
And believe it or not, he's still my friend, supposedly friend on Facebook, because, you know, the old saying, you know, keep your friends closer and your enemies closer. Right. Um, exactly. But, uh, yeah, but, but recently he, he, you know, he, he likes to come to my page and troll, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And he was starting some kind of crap on there. And I said, look, you know, I said, I just let him know. I said, look, I, I remember when you did this and I outed him as the odd emperor. And boy, he didn't like Ooh. that at all. Oh, he no. didn't like that. Uh-uh. The light, uh, yeah, but, the glare, yeah. Well, they're out there. They, they won't, they are, you know, yes. they, they, they don't have original thoughts or the ability to, um, conceptualize and extrapolate things based on evidence. They want to only go strictly by the book, the encyclopedia, uh, Wikipedia especially, mm-hmm. and they want to do their best to discredit anyone who does not fall in line with that, and they will they will try to set traps for you, especially if you're writing about these topics. Oh, sure, definitely, yeah. You know, and I usually say, I mean, people ask me about that sort of thing all the time, and I just like, well, if you don't care for what I write, don't read it, you know. Exactly. It's, it's, it's your privilege if you don't um, like, like my work, and uh, I just bid you go... Enjoy your life. <laughs> you know, it's, exactly. I, I'll write, I'll keep doing what I'm going to doing. And, and, uh, I think people know generally, I've had a few people out there. There's one, one guy who was sort of, uh, trashing me all over the internet for some reason. I didn't even know him. I had no idea. Um, he, he had sort of a competing thing, I guess, but, um, somebody told me about one of his sites and I went and looked and he was using one of my sketches mm. on his page to to, to, you know, to, to prove, uh, his own thing. And, yeah. you know, and, and I said, well, you know, why, why would you be using my sketch? He said, well, it's, it's the only one, uh, people are describing. It shows what people are. Dis- so, I mean, there's like such a, a, an intellectual disconnect there. They, I think they don't even realize what they're doing <laughs> a lot of times. It's like a backhanded compliment almost. Yeah, in a way. I mean, but it's, it just, so I just let these people go their own way. And if you, my grandma had a saying, if, if, if you get down in the dirt, you're always going to come up with mud on your face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I try to stay out of it. Uh, well, what was it? Uh, who was it that said, uh, was it, was it Mark Twain? I can't remember who it was that said it, but about, you know, don't, don't get in an argument with a fool because he'll just drag you down in the mud and, and beat you with experience. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. You can't, can't beat a Mark Twain quote. <laughs> something, something to that effect, anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's perfect. But you know, they're gonna be, no matter what you do in life. I don't care if you're studying cryptids or studying physics or studying, you know, flowers. If you do anything that is all at all new or remarkable or challenging to anybody, you're going to take negative hits. And sure. the one good thing about working ten years at the newspaper was, you know, you develop a slightly thicker skin. You have to because you just learn there's all types of people out there. They're all coming from very different places. Everybody has their own belief system. And you're going to offend somebody's belief system sooner or later if you're saying anything at all about anything. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It, just, it will happen. You know. Yep. You, I, hey, I, I offend people every day. <laughs> I, every day. I'm offended that you would say that, Mike. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, unfortunately, we are almost out of time, Linda. So uh, I want to give you the opportunity to uh, let our listeners know where they can uh, uh, find out more about you online, uh, your uh, website, and uh, and some of your books. 
Um, well, the best place is just to go to lindagodfrey.com. You don't even have to put in the www. It's a, it's at a WordPress blog. It's my blog. You can read all kinds of, uh, things that don't always get in my books and, and, uh, you can find a page with a list of my books, clickable links. There is a page on God Johnson, The Unforgiven Diary, my fantasy novel, which has a sequel halfway done. By the way, that's where I was talking about um, the iron and, and the, the trickster gods and that kind of thing. It's There's not a werewolf in it, just uh, a whole new sort of area for me. Um, lots of other stuff in there. There's bio. Um, I have a calendar that is not at all well kept up. Unfortunately, I may have to just take it off of there because it's it's turned problematic. But um, just about it, and it will tell you also you can where to email me with your reports and questions and things like that. You can uh, write it in my blog, all kinds of stuff. Again, just lindagodfrey.com. Oh, one other big news flash: a lot of people have been frustrated because the Beast of Bray Road print edition ran out some years ago, mm-hmm. and they haven't been able to get any more. Well, I've got a new print edition coming out very soon. I'm doing the final interior proofs on it right now, and it will cool. be announced on lindagodfrey.com. Um, do you have a, do you have a title yet? Weeks. Well, it's the same. It's the Beast of Bray Road Tailing Wisconsin's Werewolf. It's a second edition oh, okay. of that first um, book, the, the Beast of Bray Road. It's just uh, a new print edition. It's all the same, same, same illustrations and photographs and everything that's in the first one. A new cover, um, but other than that, it's the same book. Well, it's an excellent book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, like uh, like your uh, Monsters in America, Beast of Berry Road is uh, uh, prominently displayed on my bookshelf. So. Oh, <laughs> thank you. It's a classic for sure. Yeah, it Thanks is. So it much. is. Well, Linda, thank you very much for uh, uh, being with us tonight on the Outer Edge. Oh, you're welcome. You know, just uh, it was a great pleasure having you on, and uh, I hope that uh, when your new book comes out, that uh, you'll come back and. Uh, Talk to us about uh, your your experiences. I want to hear more uh, about your deer carcass experiments and the like. It's been pretty interesting, and uh, yeah, we will definitely do that. Nothing would please me more. So uh, all right. cool, well, sounds you. great. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Thank both of you. All right. Well, thanks everyone uh, in our listening audience for being with us tonight. Uh, our guest was Linda Godfrey. Uh, we're going to have to uh, shut us down now. Uh, we have definitely run out of time. So, Mike, you have a great evening. And you too. What's left of it? That's right. So, uh, everyone, this is Tim Swartz. You have been listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Thanks for being with us tonight, and be sure to tune in again this time next week for another fascinating program. So from all of us, good night.